This is Rabbi Avital Hakstein of Machon Hadar. Parashot Matot Mas'ei 5777. Between freedom and responsibility. Between the needs of the individual and those of the public. The book of Bamidbar ends with a scene that seems at first surprising. There's no final moment of dramatic pathos, no glance backwards, nor any statement about the future. Counter to our expectations, Bamidbar's closing scene's tenor is of ungenerosity and limitation of the other. It seems to be motivated by fear and greed and to lead to restrained freedom and restricted action. And the verses tell us, the family heads in the clan of the descendants of Gilad, son of Machir, son of Menashe, one of Yosef's clan, came forward and appealed to Moshe and the chieftains, family heads of the Israelites. They said, The Lord commanded my Lord to assign the land to the Israelites as shares by lot. And my Lord was further commanded by the Lord to assign the share of our kinsman Tzlofchat to his daughters. Now if they marry persons from another Israelite tribe, their share will be cut off from our ancestral portion and be added to the portion of the tribe into which they marry. Thus our allotted portion will be diminished. The men of the tribe of Menashe are worried about the precedent that the daughters of Tzlofchat have established. They express their concern that if these women marry men who are not from the tribe of Menashe, their portion of the tribal inheritance will be transferred and will become the property of other tribes. In response, a limit is set on the tribe's women. They must pay for the freedom they received by limiting their scope of action in one way. So Moshe, at the Lord's bidding, instructed the Israelites, saying, The plea of the Josephite tribe is just. This is what the Lord has commanded concerning the daughters of Tzlofchat. They may marry anyone they wish, provided they marry into a clan of their father's tribe. Moshe limits the daughters of Tzlofchat's freedom of choice. They may marry only men of the tribe from which they themselves are descendants. As a modern person reading between the lines, I hear panicked voices here. Voices we have heard in modern times, too, when the subject of equal status for women arises. What will become of our inheritance, the men of Menashe ask? And their ancient question resonates with contemporary questions that emerge regularly in our public sphere. Who will manage the home now? Who will care for the children? Indeed, gender equality demands changes not only in women's tasks and behaviors, but in the entire social order. It forces us to think in new ways about the entire division of labor. We can understand the men of Menashe's appeal to Moshe this way as well, in light of the daughters of Tzlofchat's precedent and the spirit of equality it propagates, the men of Menashe see that this is no mere private or one-time matter, nor a matter that relates only to women. 
a change in the status of the daughters of Tzlofchat, and in its wake, perhaps, of every woman who in the future finds herself in a similar circumstance, affects a broader and deeper change, one that touches every individual in the society. But we can hear the men of Menashe's question in a still broader context, the context of the final chapters of the book of Bamidbar. Again and again, throughout the book, Various events raise the question of the delicate balance between freedom and responsibility, between autonomy and mutual accountability. The effort to walk the tightrope between granting individual freedom and restricting it reverberates in the text. We see it, for example, in the petition of the members of the tribes of Reuven, Gad, and half of Menashe, in which they ask to settle on the far side of the Jordan River rather than entering with the rest of the people into the promised land. And the verses describe, The Reuven and the Gad tribes owned cattle in very great numbers. Noting that the land of Yazor and Gilad were a region suitable for cattle, the Gad and Reuven tribes came to Moshe Elazar, the priest and the chieftains of the community, and said, The land that the Lord has conquered for the community of Israel is cattle country, and your servants have cattle. It would be a favor to us, they continued, if this land were given to your servants as a holding. Do not move us across the Jordan. This is a shocking request. It suggests this engagement from the rest of the people an abandonment of the desire to realize the goal towards which they have shaped a 40-year journey. It may surprise us then to witness an effort to respond positively to this petition, to allow people to choose where they will dwell even if it is outside of the promised land. How can we understand this positive response? And what can we learn from it about the daughters of Tzlofchat? The conversation about the petition of the two and a half tribes is anchored in two different values that together can illuminate the positive response to it. First, there is a recognition that human beings are varied so that an expectation of identity or uniformity is unrealistic and even unjust. The petition of the members of the two and a half tribes flows from their uniqueness and their difference. The land that the Lord has conquered for the community of Israel is cattle country, and your servants have cattle. Between the lines of the petition of the two and a half tribes emerges the claim that it is wrong to demand uniformity and to understand equality as the erasure of individuality. And yet, along with the recognition of their differences and giving them freedom, the members of the two and a half tribes are also required to be responsible for the larger community. That is, a possible motive to deny their petition might be the concern that it implies a failure to accept the community's goals and values. Moshe expresses this concern first and foremost on a psychological level. And the verses tell us 
that Moshe said, Why will you turn the minds of the Israelites from crossing into the land that the Lord has given them? And now you, a breed of sinful men, have replaced your fathers to add still further to the Lord's wrath against Israel? In receiving the permission they desired, the tribe members moderate their stance by making it clear that they do not intend their petition for distinction to imply division. They declare that despite the physical distance, they will continue to be both conceptual and practical partners in the community's goals. Nor do they intend to shake off their responsibility. And they say, and we will hasten as shock troops in the van of the Israelites until we have established them in their home while our children stay in the fortified towns because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our home until every one of the Israelites is in possession of their portion. The members of the two and a half tribe received the freedom they wanted, but within a framework of limitations that does not release them from their connection to the community. And now we return to the daughters of Tzlofchat. The members of the two and a half tribes ask to leave the collective. In a certain sense, the daughters of Tzlofchat also leave the collective and ask to become exceptional. In each case, there's a petition for individual justice, for authorization of free conduct, conduct that differs from the ordinary case. Each petition relies on attention to individuality, even if it's the individuality of minority that is not a mere handful of cases, two and a half tribes or women whose families include only daughters. Each petition receives a positive answer, though limits are placed on the individual freedoms granted. But there are differences between the cases, too. Among other differences, the concern about giving the daughters of Tzlofchat their freedom to choose stems, apparently, from a concern about economic loss. While the reservations about giving freedom to the members of the two and a half tribes stem from worry about the collapse of a national project, maybe even the national project. Moreover, the limitations on the daughters of Tzlofchat are fixed and relate to personal status, while the limitations on the two and a half tribes are only temporary. It is worth pointing out one more central difference. The members of the two and a half tribes identify with the collective goal, and because of that strong identification, they are willing to give up a certain measure of their own freedom, taking social responsibility and expressing mutual accountability. This identification is also a new basis for the collective's self-definition, in this case, the collective will include people who live in different places, not all in the land of Canaan. And so we learn that when an individual or small group from the community ask for difference or freedom, if there is a disconnect between them and the values of the community and its goals, the request may be part of a process of disconnecting and separation. 
but if the individual or group identify with the community from which they are asking to stray, and the community responds positively to the request, not only does the divergence become familiar, but through the process of accepting, the community itself changes. And a word in conclusion. From Moshe's conduct in these cases, we learn about the considerations that should be taken into account in rendering separate decisions for an individual or group within society. First, the Book of Bamidbar reminds us that every such decision carries far-reaching social implications, even if they may not be obvious at first. Individuals or groups whose conduct is different from the ordinary course have an effect on the ordinary course itself. Second, the text reminds us that notwithstanding all these implications and the concerns they raise, we should not shy away from giving individuals and groups space for maneuver and choice. Human beings vary, and circumstances constantly change, and it's appropriate to relate to these differences within the system of society. Finally, they teach us about the need to balance these various considerations so that the majority and the minority can live alongside one another in ways that sustain both freedom and mutual obligation and responsibility. Shabbat Shalom.